What a beautiful hymn, isn't it? I learned it uh, when I was a new Christian. And 40 years on, we still praise our Savior. Beautiful. I hope you have some time with your family, uh, taking time off and relax and chill out. Somebody say, love your family. Spend time. Be kind and serve one another. Make, make no room for regrets because tomorrow is not promised and today is short. Father, we pray that you will bless this time as we look to your word. We pray that we will always love those who are close to us and spend time with them. It is strange that we are always uh, um, courteous to strangers. We are nice to our acquaintances, but we tend to be nasty to those who are closest to us. And we just want to pray that you help us to, to treasure those who of us who are near to us and uh, love them, spend time with them, serve one another, um, because we don't live in regrets. Uh, tomorrow is not promised. And today is very short. As we reflect, it's already 31st of December. Um, we just wonder how, t how come time flew by so quickly. And each day is precious. Each moment is not important. Pray that we will treasure uh, each moment that we have and never live with regrets. Thank you, Lord, for this year. Thank you for your goodness. We pray that as we now turn to your word, Lord, speak to us, your revealed word to us. Uh, speak to us, change us, and help us to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A motivational writer called Dennis Kimbrough, he says that some people are like wheels. They don't work until they are pushed. Some people, they are like trailers. They have to be pulled. Some people are like kites, always up in the air. And if you don't keep a string on them, they'll fly away. Some people are like canoes. They have to be paddled. Some people are like blisters. They don't show up until the work is done. Some people are like balloons, always puffed up and full of themselves. And some people are like flat tires. They have to be jacked up and changed. And some people are like lights, always switching on and off. Whichever personality that you have, Paul this morning have very important three commands and imperatives for you as a believers. But before I go down to that three imperatives and the three commands, which is a very familiar one from verses 16 to 18, let me just paint a little context to you first so that you know how to slot that three imperatives into the larger context. It is from Thessalonians, and Paul writes letter. As the apostle, he plants church, and then some years later, he will visit 
or if he can't visit, he will send a letter to give them some instruction. And the church of Thessalonica, in many ways, they are a model church. They are a good church, a model church. And Paul has only wonderful words of praise to this church. And he had many good things to commend the believers for their exemplary faith, for their diligent service, their patient steadfastness, and their overflowing joy. And so these are good things that are happening in the church, and Paul writes to commend them. But in the midst of his commendation, of course, what is necessary is always to offer a word of caution. Because abounding in the work of the Lord is only one step removed from abandoning the work of the Lord through complacency. And so in short, Paul was just encouraging them to stay on target. As we all know, that uh, to, to stay on target is difficult. To get there is easy, to maintain is always difficult, isn't it? To fall in love is easy, but to stay in love is always difficult. Uh, to get to world number one is easy, but to stay there is always difficult. So maintenance is always difficult. So Paul here is encouraging them to stay on target as they labor for the Lord. And so now, let me just read from verses 12 to 18, because that is a larger context. And then the immediate context is that Paul gives instruction to them how to treat one another, to those who serve and to those who are one another, and then one instruction, which is what I want to bring, preach today, is one instruction, a certain duty to yourselves. Alright, so let me start from verse 12. These are just simple instructions given by Paul. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So this is God's, Paul's instruction to you how to treat those who lead you. And then now he moved on to verse 14 to 15. Some of the duties to those in need, to one another. He said, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So those are about six or seven instructions Paul said, this is your duty to those in need. You have a duty to those who serve. You have a duty to those in need. And then finally, in verses 16 to 18, which is what I want to explore on this morning, is what are some of the duties to yourself? This is a fundamental duty that you have to, for yourself. And that is be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, nothing is more important as a believer in life than to discover and do the will of God. Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours, because he was desired to do God's will, not his will. And that is why it is based on his will. He said, can I not go to the cross? Can you please remove this cup of suffering? But not as my will, but yours. His desire is to do God's will. And also in the Lord's Prayer, He also taught us to pray, isn't it? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Lord's will here in this context has nothing to do with specific will of God. You know, we like to seek specific will from God. God, is this a person that you have given to me to marry? Is this university, is this course that you want me to study? Is this job you want me to take up? You seek the Lord for all this kind of thing. But this verse here, this context here, is the general will of God for every believer. It's not a specific will of God for your situation, what you ought to do. It is the general will of God for all of us believers. So the text is more concerned about God's intent for the way we live every day about what is pleasing to him. Many years ago, uh, there's a professor by the name of James Denny, more than 100 years ago, great scholar from Scotland. And he caught these three imperatives here, three commands here, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. He said these are standing gospel, standing orders of the gospel. Standing orders, you know, we know what is the meaning of standing orders, right? It's a norm, it's a, it's, a, it's a standard thing, you know. He said these three commands, they are the standing orders of the gospel. They are standing orders because they always apply to every Christian in every situation. And the Greek word here makes this very clear because these imperatives, these commands are in the present tense which means that you could translate it as continually rejoicing or joyful, continually pray, continually give thanks. It is a standing orders for all of us believers at all times in our lives. It's quite easy if you just say be joyful or give thanks or to pray. It's quite straightforward, quite easy in the sense, we have no problem with that. The difficulty is he adds in the modifier, isn't it? The word always, the words continually, the word all circumstances. That makes it very, very challenging and very, very difficult. How do you be joyful always? How can you pray continually? How can you give thanks in all circumstances? How do you do that as a believer? Is it even realistic for Paul even to suggest that to us? Isn't he out of his mind? But I just want to remind you that Paul, when he writes this, he is not sitting in an ivory tower of cushion, good life, the air conditioning is on in the summer with his laptop, open up and write some instruction to the Thessalonians. No. 
No one will want to listen to someone who in many sense cannot identify, cannot feel emotionally connect with you through some kind of crisis. You know, we tend to discount this kind of people and we lend more credibility to people who have been there and done that in a sense. And let me just read to you some of the things that Paul himself, he is not, uh, he is very familiar with pain. He is very familiar with very trials, challenging situation of his life. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what Paul says, okay? He said, are they servants of Christ? He said, I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You know, the word minus one is there because they literally have to minus one just so that they won't hit more because they are down to the law, right? He said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night in a day and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labeled and told and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger, I have known thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? That means, in other words, he's saying that who won't feel discouraged? I will also feel discouraged. I'm a human being, I'm flesh. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God the, and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. So you can see that Paul is not someone who is not acquainted with uh, grief and pain and struggles. He's someone who has been there and done that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. No, those two texts that I've just read to you is just to show to you that Paul is not uh, isolated from grief and pain. And so when he writes this, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, he knows what it is, what he's talking about in a sense. The important thing to look out is the last count, last bit of this here called this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The last phrase gives the underlying clue as to how we can begin to obey these commands. We must be in Christ Jesus. Without being in union with Him through His indwelling Holy Spirit, we could never come close to obeying 
these commands. There's no, no, no possibility here for us to be joyful always, to be able to pray continually, to be able to give thanks if we are not in union with Christ and the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in us. We are placed into union with Christ the moment that we trust in Him to save us from God's judgment and we deserve because of our sin. Replacing union with Christ. So we must be in Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live out this. So let me just quickly unpack these three things for you. Be joyful always. Be joyful always, Paul said. There are many different versions to translate the words differently. Be cheerful no matter what. Rejoice always. Be full of joy all the time. Be happy in your faith all the times. And the important thing that I want to distinguish is that joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is not always a feeling, but a way of living. And the word always is tough. As I said, the modifier there is hard because it's always. Always is, is tough. It was Paul's word to the church at Thessalonica and to us today. Rejoice always. Be cheerful no matter what. Joy is not the same as being happy. Happy sometimes is contingent and depends on circumstances. I feel happy because this morning, you know, my dog never barked or something like that. You know, you feel happy, you never disturb someone, everything is working, nothing fell apart. Uh, you're happy because everything runs smoothly. Nothing upsets you in the sense. You, you're happy today. But joy is not depending, it's not contingent upon circumstances. It is depending on a relationship. And Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I often wonder why he needs to repeat himself. And I know why. I know why. Because you here sitting here listening to a preacher standing up here to preach, sometimes when you hear us make certain statement or certain view, your mind will start, but, but, you have this but in your mind, isn't it? When you paint a situation, it's naturally because you're a thinking person. You're thinking what the person is saying, whether it's true or not. And you try to apply what the person say into every situation. And then you say, but, what about this? But Paul he almost knew how human dynamic work. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Before you say, but, in your mind, thinking, how is it possible to rejoice in the Lord always? I want to say it again, rejoice. He's almost saying that there is no room for you to have that but. It is a standing order. Don't have that but. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Be joyful always. How can you always be joyful when everything is not joyful? You know why? Because it is a choice. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Yeah? Joy. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And then further down in the same text in John chapter 15, 
down to verse 11, he says this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You see how we abide in Jesus, have the relationship with Jesus. Joy is based on that relationship. It's not contingent on circumstances. So rejoicing always, joyful always, is a conscious attitude of contentment, hope, and happiness that comes from deliberately focusing on Christ and the eternal treasures that we have received freely from Him. Remember the story in John, uh, Luke chapter 10 when Jesus, after spending some time with His disciples, He has 72 disciples. He sent them out in pairs to go and preach the gospel. And after some time, they return. And then they say, wow, this is great. I was able to heal this person. This person was healed. This person, this thing happened. That thing's happened. And then Jesus simply, I'm not sure whether I have that verse here. No, I don't have. Uh, in, and then down to certain verse, Jesus said, do not rejoice over this kind of things. What does he say that you should rejoice over? That your name is written in the book of life. Joy, rejoice. Eternal treasure. Eternal treasure. Relationship, not circumstances. And we see often in Psalms as well. Psalms, 150 chapters. Many people love the book of Psalms. The Psalms often begins with the psalmist crying out to God to help in the midst of some life-threatening trials that we all go through, and we cry out to the Lord for help. And then as you see the progression of the Psalms, by the end of the Psalm, the Psalmist begin to praise the Lord and rejoicing in Him. Even though his circumstances haven't changed at all, what changed was his deliberate focus on the Lord. I'll give one example in Psalms chapter 5. You can go home and read about it. It's the same thing. He begins with David mentioning his struggle. He was groaning and he was crying for help. And as the Psalms unfolds, we see that he was groaning because of enemies whose inward part was destruction and their throats and open grave. And then as you see, he begins to progress to the end in verse 11 and 12. This is what he concluded of. He said, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Struggle, struggle, cry out to the Lord, bring the request to Him, and then accumulating by saying, well, let them ever sing for joy. Did the circumstances change? No, it's exactly the same. But somehow, through going through prayer and crying out to the Lord, you have the stamina, you have the strength, you begin to see things from a different perspective. And joy can slowly come into your life because you begin to realize that God, you are in control. You are in charge. You are sovereign. You allow things to happen. Sometimes my finite mind cannot comprehend why. Only you know. But you begin to have strength. Paul is the same. Paul himself had always displayed this deliberate joy in the Lord when he was unjustly arrested, beaten without trial, and thrown into the jail 
jail. And at midnight, he and Silas, what happened? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. He may be singing, this is my story, this is my song, you know, praising my Savior all the day long. He was singing. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was mocked at, thrown into the prison. And he began to sing, praise the Lord. Because it's based on a relationship, not on circumstances. And then further down, when uh, the other apostles say the same thing in Acts chapter 5, same thing. After the Jewish leaders flocked them for preaching the, the resurrection of Jesus, and this is what he say. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Perspective, huh? Perspectives change. Be joyful always because joy is depending on a relationship with God, not on the circumstances. So you can go through the most severe trials of your life and yet you still can have a deep joy and peace to know that God is with you. St. Teresa of Avila, the lady who influenced Mother Teresa, she said, let Nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone is sufficient. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. Two years down the road, three years down the road, you look back at your problems, you realize it's passed away. It's passed away. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. This morning at prayer meeting, come and join us at prayer meeting, 8.30, for the next couple of weeks, combined service, over Zoom. Enough time for you to come to church. Just need to wake up a little bit early. Uh, I prayed the late Pope John Paul. He said, do not succumb yourself to despair. Do not abandon yourself to despair. We are Easter people and hallelujah is our song. We are Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. Don't abandon yourself to despair. Let nothing disturb you. Nothing frighten you. Joy can reside in you when you know that God is in charge. Number two, pray continually. Again, the word pray is not an issue. The word continually is a problem. Never stop praying, other versions say, or uh, pray unceasingly. Pray all the time. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, among the chapter on spiritual warfare, put on the full armor of God and all that. And then towards the end, Paul says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray all the time. We think all the time. Yeah? 
There's monologue. Why don't you translate your monologue into dialogue with God? Why don't you translate your monologue that you have in your mind into a dialogue with God? Say, God, I'm, I don't know what to do. Lord, this is my problem. This is what I'm facing. Lord, I have this relational struggle with this person. Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, would you please help me? Transfer, translate it into a dialogue with God instead of just thinking yourself in a monologue. Bring someone into it. Prayer helps to purify your motives. Prayer helps to clarify your directions. When you pray, it helps to purify your motives. You begin to search whether what actually you're asking for is actually what you want. It purifies your motives. And prayers also help to clarify your directions. And prayers helps you not to act on your impulse. It gives you time to chew on it, to pray through, to think through, and to allow the Lord to come into your life and, and into the picture. Prayer helps all this. It helps to purify your motives. It helps to clarify your direction. It helps you not to act on your impulse. Because we are such an impulsive kind of person that we don't sometimes just a natural, spontaneous reflexes. We go down the pathway. So we are, we are to be in this constant state in our heart. It's not to say that you can't sleep or walk continually. It doesn't mean to say that you're you, you always 24 hours, always praying in a sense, and then we can't do anything. It's not that. It's just to say you must keep at a heart an attitude of continual communion with God, wherever that may be. Henry Nouwen, one of the influential Catholic priests who died many years ago, uh, wrote many books that has influenced my life too. Uh, he said this, he said, In solitude, on your own, quiet time with the Lord, in solitude we can listen to the voice of Him who spoke to us before we could speak a word, who healed us before we could make any gesture to help, who set us free long before we could free others, and who loved us long before we could give love to anyone. In solitude, we discover that life is not a possession to be defended, but a gift to be shared. And it is through time with the Lord, pray, solitude, that you receive healing, you receive God's comforting thing. Then you are in a position to be able to do the work of the Lord. And he went on to say in his book, he says, somewhere we know that without a lonely place, our lives are in danger. Somewhere we know that without a silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, closeness cannot cure. Somewhere we know that without a lonely place, our actions quickly become empty gesture. And a lie without a quiet center can easily become destructive. Quiet. Spend time with the Lord. Pray. These are such basic spiritual disciplines 
we need to recapture back again in our own lives. Pray continually. It's constant communion with God. And believe me, when you have a constant communion with the Lord, nothing will affect you. Nothing. Nothing will affect you because you are always in communion with God and you know that God is in the picture. God is in charge. God is in control. Thomas Merton, uh, a great late Catholic mystic, he says, to allow oneself to, to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. Frenzy destroys our inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So silence, prayer is necessary. God answers prayer. I'm quite certain if I open up this microphone and ask people to come forward and share answered prayers. I have many answered prayers in my life not just individually, even as a church. I remember when we were, last time, Sun Life Community Church, before we moved here to Bulin Church here, before it was Pathway, we were down in Baldwin, and after three and uh, almost four years, we have to vacate. The new vicar came in and told me, it's either we married or we divorce. Let's not live together. I said, all right, let's not live together. I, I divorce you. So we have to start looking for a place to meet. And my wife and I, every day for many, many days, looking for church, driving everywhere, umbrella raining, hopping from one church to another, looking for a place to meet. I said, Lord, how do we move 100 old people? Where to find a place? Maybe they'll give you 3 p.m. or most churches we went to all says that to us. And lo and behold, someone found this church and informed us. And as the saying goes, the, the rest is history. God answers prayer right from the start. And we found this place. We came here. It was very welcoming, Bullying Church. And then about five years, six years later, we amalgamated and then became Pathway Baptist Church. The Lord is good. He answers prayer. We prayed long and hard on those rainy Windy winter afternoon, I remember crying out to the Lord, Lord, where are we going to meet? God answers prayer, and God has never let us down. Pray unceasingly, pray continually, pray all the time, never stop praying. Any struggle you have, driving, walking, whatever, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer, as the hymn says. And thirdly, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. In every season, give thanks in all circumstances. Some versions say, be thankful whatever the circumstances may be. Be thankful in all circumstances. Whatever happens, keep thanking God because of Jesus Christ. The verse does not say give thanks for all circumstances. Nobody should thank God for cancer. Nobody should thank God that if you, 
if you have been scammed, you know. Many people are being scammed. I have a friend who is being scammed $200,000. Partly because he is to blame because of greediness. The verse does not say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Not for, but in. Whatever circumstances you may be in, you can give thanks in every circumstances. Why? I tell you here's why. Because God will use every circumstances, whether good or bad, for the good of those who are His children. Sometimes you don't know whether something is good or bad. But one thing for sure, we can always be thankful that God knows and God is working for our good in everything. You must believe that. You must trust that. That God is good God, as we sang just now. Goodness of God. God is good. Whatever happened at that moment, you may not see it as good. But when years down the road, you look back, you know that was the best thing that ever happened. You can give thanks in every circumstance because God will use that circumstance for your good to bring good into your life. And the most important thing to me that to, to be able to root it in the fact of giving thanks to God is to deepen your understanding of God's sovereignty and goodness. To deepen your understanding of God's sovereignty and God's goodness. If you can deepen that two anchor, two pillars into your life, you can give thanks in all circumstances. God's goodness and God's sovereignty. These two pillars into your life. If you deepen your understanding on these two facts, you can give thanks to God in all circumstances. And the most common and the most clear-cut story in the Bible is a man by the name of Joseph. Yes? The story of Joseph is the story who someone who believes in God's sovereignty, someone who believes in God's goodness. You know the story. And towards the end, what did he say? He said, well, my brothers, I know you did so much bad things to me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me because of jealousy, because of whatever, but God intended it for good. God allowed it to happen. God allowed it so that something great can be achieved from this crisis. And trust is the key. Sovereignty, God's goodness, trust is the key. Let me finish with this. Arthur Ashe, the uh, American tennis player, won a couple of Grand Slams. And uh, the whole stadium in New York, Flushing Meadow, 
The stadium is called Arthur Ashe Stadium. You may not know, he died at the age of 49. He contracted HIV during a blood transfusion for his second heart surgery. So it's not due to his promiscuous lifestyle or anything like that. And he died at the age of 49 in 1993. And in his memoir, he says this. He said, quite often, people who mean well inquire of me whether I ever ask myself in the face of my disease, why me? Have you ever asked God, why me? He said he's always being asked this question. Have you asked God, why me? He said, no, really, I've never asked God, why me? You know why? You know why I don't ask God, why me? I tell you why. Because, you say, I must be consistent. If I ask God, why me for the, wrong th uh, for the heartaches and all that, then I have to ask God, why me about my blessings? And I have to question my rights for enjoying them. He said, the morning I, after I won Wimbledon in 1975, I should then have asked God, why me? And doubted that I deserved the victory. So his conclusion is, if I don't ask God, why me, after my victories, I cannot ask why me after my setbacks and disasters. This is his actual word. If I were to say, God, why me about the bad things, then I should have said, God, why me about the good things that happened in my life? Why I was born in America? Why I have such good wife? Why I have the abilities to play tennis? Why I have the win Wimbledon and all that? Why? If I didn't ask God why on the good things, that happened in my life, why should I ask God why for the bad things that happened to me? That is perspective. That is perspective. That requires wisdom. That requires maturity. That requires insight. That requires some understanding into God. Why me? Let me ask you this question before I close. Have you ever asked God, why me, for the good things in your life? Have you ever asked God why you have money? Why you are here in this part of the world? Why you are enjoying good health? Have you ever asked God why? If you have never asked God, why me, on the good things, why should you ask God, why me, on the bad things? as if you deserve it? How many of us count our blessings? Would you do it today on the eve of the new year? Would you go home, spend some time and count your blessings? And thank God and sing the song of goodness of God in your life? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks 
in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My final word to you is remember that these three things will be more clearly seen in the darkness than in the light. When times are tough, if you still can rejoice in God, if you can still pray, if you still can give thanks, then you've got the real thing that even those who don't know Jesus will know that you know Him. Lord Jesus, without your help, we will never live this way. Forgive us for complaining when we should be rejoicing. Teach us to pray continually. It is so important, Lord. You have given us so much. Please give us one more. And that is a grateful heart. May your life flow through us this week so that no matter what happens, we may be always joyful, continually praying and giving thanks in everything. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you for your grace. Your mercy is truly sufficient for us. Help us, dear Lord, to count our blessing. Help us to live a good life that will shine for you. Always joyful. Always giving thanks. Trusting in your sovereignty. Trusting in your goodness. We never doubt. We never allow any circumstances in our life to ever cause us to doubt your sovereignty, to ever cause us to doubt your goodness. You are good God. You are sovereign. You are in charge. You never waste pain. You use everything, everything, and translate it into something beautiful. He makes all things beautiful in His time. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this beautiful closing hymn, we are reminded again, in Christ alone, our hope is found. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we end off this morning's service with this beautiful hymn, in Christ alone.